Do you remember this? Which lasts longer? While Duracell Alkaline keeps on running, EverReady Super Heavy Duty just can't keep up. The Duracell bunny, that was the cutest. Well, what about this? Don't be fooled by commercials where one battery company's toy outlasts the others. The fact is, Energizer was never invited to their playoffs because nothing outlasts the Energizer. They keep going and going. I never realised there was a rivalry between the two battery bunnies. Although the Duracell bunny was the cuter of the two. But today we're not doing a bunny show. We're talking about batteries. What are they? What have they been used for? What are they used for today? And how far can battery technologies go? I'm Jake Morecambe. I'm Nina Kopel. This is Think Sustainability on 2SER, where we look at practical solutions for a better planet. Batteries aren't necessarily a new technology. The first battery was actually made back in 1800 by a scientist named Alessandro Volta. Get it? Volt. Hilarious. Initially, the purpose for the battery was less everyday like they are now. However, historically, they have proved to be an important power source. Take the Daniel cell made in 1820 by John Daniel. That one was used to power telegraphs, telephones, and even doorbells. And then go to Thomas Edison, who in the late 1800s invented the Edison battery, which was used for things like railroads and industrial use. But flash forward to today... They're in our phones, our torches, cameras, appliances, and they're in something even more substantial. I'm talking about cars. Tonight, we are going to witness automotive history. All my life, I have searched for a car that feels a certain way. Powerful like a gorilla, yet soft and yielding like a Nerf ball. Now at last, I have found it. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting the car designed for the average man, the Homer. Okay, so I am aware that there are already batteries in cars, but the reason I'm bringing this up is because the types of batteries being used is beginning to change. And no, we probably won't see something like the Homer on our roads, but what we are seeing is the prophesized electric car. And not to completely bombard you with Simpsons quotes, but... Welcome to the electric car of the future. Hello, I'm an electric car. I can't go very fast or very far. And if you drive me... More and more electric car models have come onto the market in the past 25 years or so. First, we saw hybrids coming out. Models that would operate half-half on petrol and electricity... Then other models like the Nissan Leaf and the Ford Focus Electric coming out as electric cars. But the one that's on everyone's radar at the moment is the Tesla. The latest Tesla model, the Tesla 3, was unveiled earlier this year. It's a fully electric car that has no engine, is battery run and rechargeable. It seems kind of unreal, right? that something like this actually exists. But how does it work? 
how do you run a car on a rechargeable battery? And more importantly, is it sustainable? Well, Nina and I wanted to find out. Here we are, we're at Tesla and we're about to do our test drive. What are you expecting? I'm crap nervous. <laughs> like, I hate driving new cars. I don't know why I signed myself up for this, but these look really flash. Like, really flash. It's, like, tinted and it's so shiny. But I'm excited at the same time. I've never driven any car like this before, so I'm keen to see how it feels. What are you most interested to find out about the Teslas? I'm interested to find out how the battery operates because it, it's a rechargeable car so you have to hook it up to a system but then it will recharge itself when it drives apparently i don't know too much about that i'm also just interested in where this battery technology is going you there's a lot of different technologies that are advancing and now it's part of a car it's like this is one step what's going to happen next and what actually is battery technology as well I, i'm keen to find out more about that And I'm sitting, not that you can hear it because it is such a quiet car, but I'm sitting in the back of a Tesla that Jake is test driving. How are you finding it, Jake? Um, pretty amazing. <laughs> I'm pretty, I don't know. It's whenever you drive a new car, it's nerve wracking. But it's amazing. We just did the autopilot. I have to say, I had a moment of panic when you turned that autopilot on for the lane change. I was like, <gasps> there is a wall next to me. And I'm not completely convinced that the car knows that, but it did. It's not just like autopilot as in it drives. Yeah, like it changed the lane. It could like sense the wall and everything, which is freaky. And then even there's like this braking system where if you take your foot off the accelerator and then at the same time that's conserving the battery. And so I'm like, where is this battery? Like, like how, how do you like have a car that functions off battery? So what, what are the cool things that you're taking from the car, Jake? Well, I think like the whole reason that we're doing this is because there's a whole lot of developing technologies out there which are looking at different ways to conserve energy and and the reason that we're driving a Tesla is to kind of test how can you put one of the biggest emitter technologies like cars. It kind of changes the whole game in terms of getting around and using it as a different source of energy as opposed to emitting all this crap into the atmosphere. So Apparently the batteries next to the wheels, so there's some sort of like sensory thing that it will... Yeah, like I said before, there's this automatic kind of brake system when you're accelerating, and then when you take your foot off the accelerator, it'll begin to re regenerate the energy, will keep rotating, rotating, which will charge the car, because a Tesla is essentially like a charged car, it's like a mobile you charge it at the beginning of the day and then you have however many kilometers to drive around for however frequently you drive. I think I said it was 550 kilometers that you could go for. Yeah. And I also like this idea of driving along a highway and having all these little charging stations yeah. scattered across the country, which is crazy. It's like a petrol station, but yeah, you go charge your electric car somewhere. And I think that they're normally every 200 kilometers or so. I guess, however long that you plan to drive, you just have to make sure that you've got somewhere to charge it up. <laughs> yeah, it's like your phone, but you can actually use it to get around and not just make calls. Although I'm sure you can make calls on this too.
Okay, Jake, we've done with our test drive. You're yeah. going to buy a Tesla now? I don't have the money. <laughs> I, I'm not going to be able to afford it. But it was so cool. It's nice to drive a car that you know is not as bad as perhaps even mine, which is just going to emit a crap load of petrol or, or carbon into the atmosphere. But the cool thing is this thing is where you charge it. And these are the things that I apparently like every 200 Ks or so that um, you fill it up as opposed to filling it up with petrol, you just charge it up. Essentially, it's like a the same sort of plug thing and you plug it into your car and you leave it. And I'm sure it uses a decent amount of energy to charge it, but it's what, like weighing up the parallels there. It's like, do you want to emit carbon into the atmosphere by driving a normal car or do you want to not emit that and be using it off energy? Yeah, the guy who took us for the test drive said that the main guys he has coming in for a drive are really techie people. You know, some of them are young, some of them are a bit older. I mean, obviously they have a bit more money to spend, but the people who are interested in the technology, it's a niche appeal still. But I don't know how long it's going to be before you and I can afford or are interested in a mainstream electric car. And the other thing that's interesting about that as well is he was talking to us about their marketing strategy in terms of it's a lot of word of mouth. So, yeah, it has that niche appeal still, but it, it will be interesting to see how this technology progresses and what other things that it might be able to latch onto, not just cars, but what about buildings operated entirely on rechargeable batteries in terms of like lights or the energy that they might use for whatever else in industrial buildings. So... It's an interesting start to a world that I'm sure will change the way we do things. You're listening to Think Sustainability on 2SER. Now enough about cars, let's go back to the batteries themselves. Batteries can be made out of different materials. Many are alkaline-based, like our friend the Duracell Bunny. Some are made out of nickel, some lead. But the rechargeable batteries, like the one the Tesla uses, are made out of lithium. We're going to come back to exactly what it is about lithium batteries that makes them rechargeable. But first, let's talk more about what they're used for today. We still use them to power things like torches and phones, but more and more people are using batteries to store power. A lot of this is happening in rural areas where people might have the battery attached to a solar panel or some sort of wind turbine. The battery can store the energy made from those sources and save it for a rainy day. And imagine how handy that would be if you had a blackout. <laughs> Every house around you is out of power and you're like, ha, let me introduce you to my handy battery storage. <laughs> These storage technologies are only just starting to get big, but there's massive potential here. The energy flows in both directions. We contribute some, we use some, and the grid facilitates that. It's just a different way of using the same infrastructure and it can be really efficient. I think we're just undergoing some transformation from the old way of doing things to the new way of doing things. That's Geoffrey James from the Institute for Sustainable Futures at the University of Technology, Sydney. Geoffrey is also one of our battery experts today, so let's go to him to find out exactly what these battery storages are all about. People who want to go fully off-grid do that, and they do that very happily. It's not the cheap option. The cheaper option is to have a battery alongside your grid connection. Firstly, you can consume your own solar energy. So if you produce at times when you're not using electricity, then you can store what you produce from your roof in your battery and use that to help cook your dinner. 
you can also manage your tariffs. So it may be that you're on a time of use tariff where you're charged more during peak hours and less during the small hours of the morning, off-peak times. And so that would be a great time to charge your battery. Like uh, overnight? Uh, you can s- charge your battery overnight and then use it for um, daytime use when you would otherwise be paying the peak rate. What do you do at home? <laughs> what do I do at home? Well, I live in a unit, so I don't have solar PV and uh, I don't have any opportunity to buy a battery. So I'm sorry about that. And actually, that's one uh, aspect of the market that needs to be fixed to help unit dwellers participate in these things. For you, what would you like to be able to have so that you can source your energy? But like, what, what's, like, if I'm looking at it, what's a good system for you? Well, a good system for me as a, as a unit dweller would be to, to have lots of uh, solar panels on the big roof space that most unit blocks have, quite nice elevated roof space, no shading from trees, and to have some entity which might be the strata committee installing those panels and uh, sharing the benefits of that electricity supply with me. I I don't really feel like putting panels outside my window and trying to be completely self-contained, but I think that my neighbours and I would probably be interested in participating in some strata-level scheme. And uh, I I suspect that the uh, building management would also get some extra revenue or cheap electricity supply that way as well. It's interesting because I hear of people who are like, I'm off the grid, I generate all of this from solar or I've got a wind, like a small wind farm, if that's even a thing. Mm -hmm. So in your opinion, that's not necessarily a good thing because you're not then giving energy back to the grid that would then benefit other people. Look, I I, I certainly wouldn't criticise anyone who does that. I think it's a great thing to do. I think it's not the most efficient thing to do if you're in an urban area. So if you're far away from the grid or if your existing grid connection is costly to maintain, it definitely makes sense to go off-grid. Of course, if you feel strongly and you really want to do it, then, then do it. But I would just caution that it's fairly expensive still. Now we're understanding better how the grid interacts with these things that customers want to do. There turns out to be value in both directions in having your own resources, like solar panels, batteries, your own resources connected to the grid. So the grid becomes a a shared space, if you like. We already own it together. It's a community infrastructure that we all pay for through our part of our electricity bills. It's just being repurposed. So instead of carrying electricity from coal-fired power stations far away, over the countryside and into our suburbs, we're repurposing the grid so it carries and shares our own solar energy maybe other local supplies like a wind farm elsewhere in New South Wales. The energy flows in both directions. We contribute some, we use some, and the grid facilitates that. It's just a different way of using the same infrastructure and it can be really efficient. I think we're just undergoing some transformation from the old way of doing things to the new way of doing things. And batteries need to be charged, right? They do, they do. They need to charge, they need to discharge. So you can install a battery so it charges just from your solar, and many systems do that. Uh, And indeed, uh, some grid codes, that is the the way the electricity networks ask you or require you to operate your battery, your appliances, some grid codes don't permit charging from the grid. So you may need to make a special arrangement if you want to do that. What are some other technologies that are emerging that are run on battery energy storage? I do hope that the age of the electric vehicle has finally come. It's been anticipated for many, many years. 
how these are going to interact with electricity supply is a good question. So some people think they're going to be a real problem because suddenly we need to charge all these cars and there's the potential to double the electricity used by each home just by having an EV. Other people say this is a good thing because you can choose to some extent the time when you do that charging. As for other technologies using batteries, well, not only vehicles, electric vehicles are possible. You can have um, electric boats. And in fact, I heard of a project just the other week about an, an electric ferry that will start operating reasonably soon in Australia and that charges at each port has a regular route. So it's, it's very amenable to having a battery that you charge according to your regular journey. Buses, similarly, I think there's an Australian built and designed electric bus. Mm. So, yeah, I think you raise an important point there as well in terms of in 50 years' time we all have hybrids or or we all have electric cars instead of ones that run off petrol. Mm. Then the demand for energy to charge that could exponentially go through the roof. How, How can we manage that? Well, provided we are at the same time shifting to renewable electricity supplies, that's actually a really good thing because it's shifting overall energy supply from fuel-based sources like diesel and and, and petrol to electricity supplies which can be renewable. So sure we may need twice as much electricity for the residential sector but that's going to be clean electricity, affordable electricity and we can use the electric vehicle demand and other new technologies to help manage the supply system, like like providing the grid services I suggested, making sure the voltage is right. Are we going to get to that point? Oh, for sure. But uh, don't you think that there might be resistance in terms of that move to renewables? Not Aren't when... we experiencing that right now? <laughs> yeah, well, of course, I, I've seen a lot of this unfold in, in, in my career, but I, th- I think we've reached a point where the, the result is inevitable, an inevitable transition. And it's a question of the speed of that transition because it's cheaper now. It's, it's now cheaper to build wind and solar also, uh, cheaper than new build fossil fuel plants. Nuclear remains a credible but extremely expensive option. So I think... How is nuclear energy credible? It's credible in an engineering sense. I'm not personally endorsing nuclear energy. I think there are cheaper and safer ways to provide electricity. I'm not one of those people who thinks of nuclear as a renewable source because it's essentially it's a fuel and it has a very serious issue of waste. There is a significant group of people who believe in nuclear energy. As far as I can tell, nuclear is uh, getting more and more expensive because Why? of the... Well, uh, in the aftermath of uh, the Fukushima disaster, people are much more wary of safety concerns and are de- demanding a higher and higher level of engineering to prevent any kind of contingency like that coming about. And so that uh, another thing I've, uh, I've speculated on is, is that the, the real estate out in, in the far inland and western parts of well, New South Wales and Australia will become increasingly valuable as uh, a solar resource. So uh, let's not dismiss our deserts as faraway places with no practical use. I, I don't think that's true, and I think we should respect them. Jeffrey James, Research Principal from the Institute for Sustainable Futures at the University of Technology, Sydney. So let's go back to what we were saying before. These rechargeable batteries and storage batteries are made mostly out of lithium, but researchers are looking at other minerals and elements that could work as rechargeable batteries, some of which you're going to hear about from our next expert. 
But with any scientific experiment, you should account for risk, like me in Year Nine Science. And Katia Crutchmere, a PhD researcher from the Faculty of Science at UTS, says batteries are no exception. I have to say, I know how dangerous they can be. <laughs> That's probably a thing that people do not know. The failure mechanism of them can be quite severe. So if you have a damaged battery, that can cause some problems. And that's why I understand why electric cars, for example, are so so far behind, because this is a very critical thing. So if you have a, an accident with an electric car and your battery pack gets damaged, that can cause a very, very severe explosion. It's very dangerous. You would think petrol is highly flammable and it explodes very... But they, petrol cars do not explode that easy. A battery-powered car with the current technology would... And that's really an eye-opener on you. We have to be very careful with the batteries we handle. How do you monitor that then? How do you make sure that they don't explode? We handle all the critical chemicals and, and materials in an uh, inert atmosphere. So we have a special design glove box that contains argon and no oxygen. And when we test them, they're only very small. So if they really would blow up, it would be only a tiny poof, you know. <laughs> but yeah. We are, yeah, very, very careful check the batteries before we test them. Is everything all sealed and is there any leakage or do we already see any any heat generation? You can feel it and see it sometimes. Does it worry you then that you're seeing Teslas on our roads now? Um, well, I've read a little bit about the Tesla cars and I'm pretty sure every customer gets a safety instruction course or something on what to do when you crash with your car. So people who buy one, they know the risks because they get trained by Tesla, which is very unique. I think I don't think any other car company does that. But, yeah, it, it is a worry. Uh, obviously, you're working in this space, so you're able to research and put into practice methods to make sure that they aren't a hazard to people. If we're moving into this age of renewables and um, encouraging more people to use battery storage for things like solar and wind, how can you make people aware that it's still a trialling technology? I mean, there's all these these scary videos sometimes you see on Facebook with all these blown up mobile phones or, or cords and stuff like that. But yeah, people will probably will get used to all this like they did get used to any other flammable. Like, I mean, people do not burn their cars up on a regular basis when they refill them. So it will be a, a steady process of people being very careful with with the batteries they handle. Usually if you now have a power tool or your mobile phone, you don't that, don't get to the battery that easy, right? If you try to open your phone up and get the battery out, it's getting harder and harder and harder each new generation. So to try to trigger a severe reaction, you really need to work hard to break it. So you have to really use a hammer and a nail and a puncture and stuff. Don't do that. Please don't. don't. It's just a, a, a common sense that will really help us. But again, with... um car because this is not up to you sometimes you crash with the car and you, it's not your fault the industry has to has to put safety measures in place to protect everybody should there be an external battery box that someone would have in their house attached to a solar panel or whatever that it's the same situation there it would it would need to be foolproof yeah it would be it will be I was actually surprised to hear that Western Australia has a large, large, large amount of homes already having this technology in place. 
So the Western Australia has like whole suburbs full of solar panels and little battery packs that um, already installed somewhere on the porch. And I thought it would be in a in Australia with all this bushfire problems and stuff like that it would be actually quite dangerous to have this at home. But um, now people have it. People people have metallic boxes around it and and, and probably some water cooling system around it or some. So it it seems to be already at a level that you can have it safely at home without being worried all the time it might blow up because the sun shines on it or something. We're looking into materials that will be commercialised to make the batteries more efficient, more power, more um, capacity, all this stuff, safer, most importantly as well, safer. So we're redeveloping components for, for the next generation of batteries. What is the next generation of batteries? <laughs> Um, it's probably not lithium-ion batteries. It will be sodium-ion batteries and then probably lithium-sulfur batteries. And far, far, far in the future, it will be um, batteries that run on oxygen. Oxygen? Yeah. How uh, would that work? The um, lithium can react reversibly with um, oxygen, just atmospheric op- oxygen. And that is theoretically, the energy density is just the same, almost the same as petrol. So the the power you can get out of this system is, will be equal to a combustion engine. It's possible because you don't need some of the components a lithium-ion battery would need because you can substitute it with oxygen, which is light, and it's all it's there everywhere. So that saves you a lot of weight and gives you a higher energy just for the for the whole pack, you know, it's it's a lot more complicated. I don't want to get too in the details, but that is the holy grail at the moment. So now that maybe we should talk about this lithium. As I said, lithium ion batteries are not going to be the end of the story at all because lithium is is already short on supply. So if we would make the shift now to try to power all the cars that exist and all the energy and try to use lithium ion batteries to to make it's not possible. Right, because so, we'd run out of lithium. Exactly. So the that's why I said other systems will be in place or are already under development, partially commercialized. I think in France, sodium ion battery, similar chemistry, but sodium being in oceans and everywhere is a lot more available, cheaper than lithium will be. Because yeah, researchers know that we need to get away from lithium ion batteries as well. We can't use them as as planned. So the next technology needs to be investigated as well. And luckily, sodium ion batteries are, or we can learn a lot from, or use a lot from lithium ion battery systems, what we learned there and implemented in the sodium systems. Because you already know. You you already know heaps, yeah, heaps of of critical steps and things. And then oxygen? And the oxygen batteries are running parallel as well, yes, they do. It, would that be a sustainable form of battery? Because like, I can't imagine, <clears throat> can we suck all the a- oxygen out of the atmosphere? Oh, as I said, reversible, right? So the oxygen you use in the system to charge your battery, when you discharge it, charge it and use it for something, the oxygen will be released. So it's, it's a breathing battery, if you will. So it's not stealing, it's borrowing. Yes, it will return it. Because this technology is so, so young. And so unexplored, there's still so much that happens inside the battery we haven't even figured out. So there's still heaps inside the battery to look at what ha- what's happening at certain stages, what's the temperature influence, what what electrolyte do you use? There's plenty of electrolyte 
you can use a cup or the air electrode can be anything really that's some sort of porosity available and then yeah that's tricky electrochemistry and chemical reaction inside this kind of battery lots of things to explore Katia Kretschmer, PhD researcher from the Faculty of Science at the University of Technology, Sydney. Thanks for listening to the show. Think Sustainability is produced with the assistance of the University of Technology, Sydney and 2SER. For more information about what you've heard today, head along to our website, 2SER.com forward slash Think Sustainability. You can also subscribe to us on your favourite podcast app. Just search for Think Sustainability. I'm Jake Morecambe. I'm Nina Copel. See you next week. Bye.